And so I've got a great excitement in my heart this morning for what God wants to do. Because God's up to something. God's up to something. I've been in here praying this week, and God is up to something. There's something stirring me. It's been stirring for a while, over a year or so, but it's just getting stronger and stronger and stronger. I'm beginning to see little signs of it. So open your Bible with me to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to continue our study, which is preparing us for what God has for us. Praise God. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to review a little bit, and then we're going to go into the next part of this subject. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you're called. So we're talking about something that God's already called you to. You're already able to do it. But now he's equipping us so that we're, we can begin to walk worthy of that calling. With all lowliness and gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the faith and of the spirit and of the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given. Notice that. To each one of us. To each one of us. To each one of us. We're all part of one body. But to each one of us, something was, something's been given by God to you. And it's grace. Now, we all know we're saved by grace. But Paul uses that word grace in a number of applications. The most basic one, and we'll talk a little bit more about that this morning, is we're saved by grace through faith. It's, the wings, it's not by what you do. It's by a gift from God. But the word also means everything God gives to us is by grace. Because all grace essentially means is you got something you did not deserve. That's good news. I don't want what I deserve. You ever think, boy, I hope that person get, you know, I saw somebody going down the highway yesterday and, and I was going the speed limit. That's what I said. I was going the speed limit. And this guy flew by me. You know, there's, there's, every, and I know I'm not the only one. We get this righteous indignation. You know, I've suddenly become the policeman of the world. You know, that's not right. You know, I hope he gets caught. You know, these thoughts running through my mind. Then I realize, wait a minute. He ought to get what he deserves. And then I realize, I'm glad I didn't get what I deserved. I got grace instead. It's a gospel of grace. But the word grace Paul also uses and applies towards other things that God gives us that he just gives us that we didn't deserve. So this verse says that although we're all one body, yet to each one of us, that means to you, God has given a particular grace. A particular grace. Let's see what else he says about it. To each of us, grace was given to the, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now down to verse 11, because he talks about some of these gifts. 
And he gave some, some of these gifts as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists and pastors and teachers. And why are they given? Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints. Now we've looked at that word over the last several weeks. We've seen that that word, that Greek word means basically to give what you need to do what you're called to do. But really what it means, and there's two meanings to it, the first is to mend. That means to take something that's broken, that's hurting, that's not functioning right, and to put it back in a place where it can mend together. So we see that these gifts, one of their functions is to help make adjustments in the body of Christ so that we can line up correctly with one another and with Him so that He can bring that particularly formed for the process of getting a ship ready to go back out to perform its function, whether it was a, whether it was a fighting ship or whether it was a merchant ship. First of all, they would make sure that the ship was safe, that it was ship-shape that it was safe to go out, so they would inspect the hull. And the second, then they would begin to make sure that it had the correct equipment, food, the, the right lines, all that it needed to do, it go out and accomplish its mission, fulfill all of it, and then come back safely. So that's what that word equipping. So what we see is that these five ministry gifts, they're not special people, they're just different functions. And they've been given to the body of Christ to equip us, to, to position us so that the Spirit of God and the Word of God can mend us and make us whole. So in some ways, Faith Christian Center is a hospital. People come here from all different situations. People come here from broken homes. People come here, there are many, a number of ministers that have come through here that have come out of situations that, where they needed to sit down and be made whole. And God's grace allows them that to happen through the word. So there's a mending process that takes place. But there's also an equipping. And it's to get us ready to do together and individually what we're called to do. And so that's what we've looked at. Now what we're going to look at today, we're going to look at what that equipping of the saints does. And today we're going to talk to you about a four-letter word. So I'm going to teach you a four-letter word right out of the Bible. Are you ready? All right. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work. W-O-R-K. <laughs> for the work of the ministry. And I was studying for this and kind of reading over this quickly, and, and many of us have done this many times. That word jumped out at me, and I, I really sensed the Spirit of God was saying, let's take some time and just look at that one word, that dirty word, work. <laughs> it has all kinds of implications. But let's look at the, what the Greek word is. The reason I go back in that, first of all, I'm a teacher, therefore I'm a student. And I love words. Words, as I've mentioned to you before, are containers. And as you dig into these words, and, 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 and although I've, I've studied some Greek on my own, you can find these things out for yourself. There's all kinds of Bible softwares out there. There's all kinds of concordances and studies helps that you can go, to go in and dig into these words yourself. But what I dig into these words, and I'm looking for the Spirit of God to take them and, 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 and open my eyes to see something. And this word, Greek word is ergon, E-R-G-O-N. Very common word in Greek, the way it's used. 
But what it means literally is to perform acts, deeds, D-E-E-D-S, actions. It also means to do business, to perform something. It's an active word. So what we see from this verse is that the ministry gifts are to equip all of us, to mend us and equip us so that we, because the word saints we've talked about before also, the word saints means a believer, someone who's been set apart by Christ. It's not somebody who's been honored to put in a stained glass window. It's not a special Christian. It's a, it's, he's talking about all of us who are believers, are saints. I didn't say you're acting saintly. But you are one. Because I want you to understand, because the model of ministry that so many churches have had over the years is that the ministry is a profession. And only a few are called to it. And the way we relate to the, you have the, the ministry and the, what they often call the laity. And the job of the minister was to do the work of the ministry and the job of all the rest of us, the laity, is to pay them to do it. It's like a teacher. A teacher's a professional. So we pay them to do the work that they're trained to do, and we send our students to get there in order to learn and grow so that they do for them what needs to be done. It's true of doctors. I was a lawyer for 23 years, so I've been in a profession. Ministry is not a profession. Biblical ministry. It's a work. It's a service. In fact, the word ministry here is the word diakonos, which literally means a table waiter. And in fact, in many translations, you'll see to do the work of the service, not the work of the ministry. So what we see here is these ministry gifts, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, pastor, and the teacher, are given to the church to equip the church, all of us, so that the we can do the work of the service. And the result of that work is the rest of these verses up through 16 that we're going to talk about. But they come about the maturing, the growing up of the body of Christ, the strengthening of the body, the, the, and all that entail in that is the result of us doing the work that we're called to do, all of us. But it's work. W-O-R-K. It simply means to do something. Now the other side of that is to do nothing. We're going to talk about it very simply this morning. But sometimes the simplest things are also the most profound. Because we look over them. Oh yeah, I know that. But there's two options. If I'm working, I'm doing something. If I'm not working, I'm not doing something. So there's no great secret here to discerning whether you're doing the work of the ministry. It's whether you're doing something. Uh, you don't get it yet, so we'll take some time on this. I'm not so this is and this is what why this went off in me because it is so simple we jump over it. Let's look at some things about this. The word ergon, the word work. 
In the New Living Translation, this verse says that the, to, to equip God's people to do His work. I like that. To equip God's people to do His work. School of Ministry, when we had it, when we taught in the second year, we had really three courses on ministry. The first was an introduction to ministry and really talked about these kinds of issues. What the Bible says ministry is, not what, not what the, the church says or the denominations say. What the Bible says ministry is, it's service. And one of the principles that I taught in there is that ministry, biblical ministry, is partnership with God. Now think about what that means. That means there's something God wants to do. There's something God wants to do, and God has chosen, for whatever reason, God has chosen to not do it by Himself. God has chosen to use people to do His will. One of the greatest examples of that to me is, is, in, is in the book of Acts, when the apostle Peter is on the roof one day, waiting for lunch to be prepared, and he goes into a, a trance, and then he has a vision in this trance, and a sheet comes down out of heaven. And what God is about to do is to take the message of the gospel that had at this point only been, been preached among the Jews, and he's about to extend it to the Gentiles. So God appears through an angel to Paul, to, to, to Peter. He speaks to him with a, through a vision, and then the Spirit of God speaks to him and says, Arise and eat, because on this sheet that comes down are all kind of animals that under the law were unclean or improper to eat. And Peter protests and says, No, Lord, I've never eaten those things. I will never violate your law. And three times this, 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 miracle, this, um, this, this uh, uh, vision happens and this sheet comes down. And three times the Spirit of God speaks to him audibly and says, Arise and eat. At the same time, in Joppa, an angel appears to a Roman soldier named Cornelius. And an angel appears and send messengers to, to, to for Peter and have him come over here because there's something he wants to say to you. And I was reading that because what God was basically doing is he's having an angel appear to a Gentile saying, go send your soldiers because I've already spoken to my apostle Peter to come and talk to you so that he can tell you how to get saved. And it dawned on me, wait a minute. God's going to an awful lot of effort here to arrange to get these two guys together. He's sending an angel to Cornelius and a vision to Peter. Why didn't God just send the vision and the angel to Cornelius? God did all this supernaturally to get these two men together so that one man could tell the gospel to the other man. All this supernatural activity so to get one man to open his mouth and another man to hear. Why didn't God just have the angel appear and preach to Peter, to, to, to Cornelius? Because God has chosen to work through us. Think of what that means. All that's in God's heart this morning for the hurting and the lost of just the world around us. I know there's South America and there's all kinds of suffering going on in, 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 in South America and Asia and all kinds, but just the world around you and me. God's heart 
God's plans. All that's stirring in him when he sees someone that's lost and knows that if they don't take their next breath, they're going to spend eternity separated from him. And all the things that are involved in hell. And we're going to preach on hell this year. I'm going to teach you on heaven and I'm going to teach you about hell. Because they're both very real. And we need to know about them. Because we're going to spend eternity in one or the other. And everybody you know and I know is going to spend eternity in one of those two places. God's heart this morning is moved, is full of passion and desire to rescue and save the lost. But he will not do it and has set it up so he cannot do it on his own. He's given you and me and all of the church the privilege of being his partner in doing what he wants to do. Let me show you some scriptures to show you that this is true. Let's turn, turn with me to Romans chapter 15. What we're talking about is the work of the ministry is literally working with God so that God can carry out His plan. Romans 15. Oh, overshot it here. Let's look at verse um, 17. Therefore I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God. Verse 18. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished, which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and in deed. That word deed is ergon. To make the Gentiles obedient. Paul says, I will not dare to speak of, of those things which Christ has not accomplished. In other words, the only things I will speak of is what Christ has accomplished through me. I will not speak of anything I've done on my own. Jesus told the disciples in John chapter 15, before he departed, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And down in there he says these powerful words, apart from me, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's not that you don't do as well. It's not that you do better if you're connected to me. He said, it's all or nothing. Either I'm working through you or what you're doing counts as nothing. So we don't stand before God and say, well, you know, Lord, you know, I, I, you know, I, I don't know what you wanted me to do, but I did some great things for you. He says it counts as nothing. In fact, we looked a few weeks ago in Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus gets about as direct and plain about this as possible. He says, in that day, many of you are going to come to me. And you're going to say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do these mighty works in your name? Did we not cast out demons? And did we not perform great miracles in your name? We did them for you. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. And then he says the key words, you who practice lawlessness. In other words, you did great things in my name, but you did them on your own initiative. You did them apart from me. You were a part of the, trying to be a part of the body functioning 
separate from the body. And we established a few weeks ago that if you're trying to be part of the body but separate from the body, you're not only separate from the body, you're separate from the head because the head's connected to the body. And so we see Jesus saying in John 15, apart from me, I don't care what it looks like you've done, it counts as nothing. Not good try, not, you know, we Christians, we, we take a scripture and we take it out of context. It says that, that God looks on the heart and not on the outside. That was not speaking of, look, God sees the good intentions of our heart even though we went ahead and disobeyed him anyway. That's not the context. He's talking about David when he was anointed as king. And when, when, when Samuel came to anoint the next king and he went to Jesse's house because that's where God told him to go and Jesse lined up all his boys. And Samuel went down in front of each one of them and, and God said, no, no, no. And he came to the end and he's, he's saying inside of himself, I know God sent me and said that the next king is here. I don't see him here. So he says to Jesse, do you have another son? Oh yeah, there's the kid out tending the sheep. He says, go bring him. And that's when it says, God does not regard us according to the outside, but according to the heart. God saw the heart of David, not what he looked like on the outside. Not his outward abilities and outward strength. God saw his heart towards him. That's the context of that verse. So we often as Christians say, well, yeah, but you, God knows my heart. God knows my heart. Turn with me to Revelation. Jesus has died, been raised from the dead, and somewhere around 60, 70 years have passed. And the last remaining of the apostles, of the original apostles, the apostles of the Lamb as they're called, is exiled on the Isle of Patmos. And on the Lord's Day, verse, chapter 1, verse 10 says, in the spirit of the Lord, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day and heard a voice behind me. And it said these things. Now we're going to go to chapter 2. I just want to show you a few things in here. Because what he tells him at the end of, verse chap of chapter 1 is write these letters to these seven churches that are in Asia Minor. We're not going to go through the letters, but I want to show you there's one thing he says consistently to each one. This is the head of the church's report card. He gives report cards. I was hearing Pastor Joseph share yesterday about, and I don't remember where the school was, a school he's heard of where they don't give report cards, and I know that's a trend today. Nobody can fail. Nobody succeeds, excels. We just all learn something. Don't let me go there. Whether you kids go to a school that has report cards or not, or you have pass-fail system, whatever it is, Jesus has a report card. And here it is for the ch these churches. Notice it's individual, but there's a consistent thing he says. Chapter 2, verse 2. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that those cannot bear what, who are evil. Let's go over to verse 8. To the angel of the church at Smyrna, write these things. Verse 9. I know your works. Let's go over and look at... Um, uh, chapter, verse 12. And to the angel of the church of Pergamos, write, 
Verse 13, I know your works or deeds. To verse 18, to the angel of the church at Thyatira, write. Verse 19, I know your works. Chapter 3, to the angel of the church at Sardis, write. Uh, these things which he has says to the seven spirits of God, the seven stars, I know your works. Verse 7, to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, write. Verse 8, I know your works. Verse 14, to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write. Verse 15, I know your works. So I guess he's expecting us to work, <laughs> to do something, because we are part of his body. What do you do if there's a part of your body that's not functioning? You go to the doctor who knows how to get it to work, yeah. <laughs> You ever, ever sit in a position, maybe with your leg underneath you, and you go to stand up and you're, we, we have the expression, your foot's asleep, There's no, and you can't walk on it, can you? It doesn't feel, it doesn't move, it doesn't function until you get the blood flowing through it again. It's not working. Your body is only whole and healthy and productive when each part is working. Now we're going to talk later on about what that work is because it's different for each one of us. But the beginning is to recognize every one of us is called to work. I got it out. I said it in church. Sometimes I think we charismatics have the idea that, well, we trust God, we pray, we believe God, we go to church, and, and, and we're doing what we're supposed to do. The interesting thing is many of those denominations that may not believe some of the same things we do, do tremendous works. We met a couple a number of years ago on a vacation, and, and they're from a church that, 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 you know, we all believe the same basic things, but there's some things that they don't agree with about us in terms of the Holy Spirit and His ministry and things like that. But they've got their own hospital. They've got their own nursing home. I mean, they own it. But well, we own a radio station. Yes, and that's good. It's preaching the gospel. But they're also out in the community working for Him. And you know whether you're working by whether you're doing deeds. Not the intention. See, see if, you're, if your stomach has the intention of digesting the food, but it doesn't do it, your body doesn't function right. right? If, you're, if your feet have the intention of, of walking and balancing you safely, but they don't do that, it doesn't matter what the intention of your feet are, is. Is what your body is able to do. In fact, sometimes we have the intention for our body to do something and it doesn't perform what you intended it to do. And there are conditions, there are names for those conditions. 
a number of years ago, I'd seen a special on TV about a condition called Tourette syndrome. Have you ever heard of Tourette syndrome? And they featured a guy on there that had it very seriously. So he had to drive with his window down because his hand would involuntarily. It's a condition where your, bo your body involuntarily does things and says things that you don't intend it to say or do. And sometimes the words that you say involuntarily are not very proper words to say in public. And they featured this guy. Well, a couple of days later, I'm driving down the street in Boston. We lived up there at the time. And I realized there's a guy doing this out the window. And I thought he's turning left. And he's doing other strange things. And as I went by him, I recognized he was the guy featured in this story. I'd never heard of it before. But here's a man plagued with a condition where his mind says, I don't want my hand to do this. But it does what it wants to do anyway. So the intention's not good enough. Now we'll talk about that in a minute. But the intention, in order to get the work done, here's the point. The good intentions don't accomplish it. I'm not saying we're not saved. I'm not saying God doesn't love us. But it doesn't get His work done if we have good intentions. It's only when we do the work of the ministry that the body grows up and matures. Getting quiet in here. Well, let me look at one other scripture and then I'm going to kind of put you back together a little bit here and, and calm some of you down. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But I want you to see it's not our intentions. Jesus is watching what we do. Why is he watching what we do? Is it because he's a school teacher that's given us an assignment? Is that why he's watching what we do? No. It's because we're part of his body. It matters to you whether the parts of your body do what you're supposed to do, doesn't it? It matters to you whether every part of your body is performing its correct function, doesn't it? Because if it's not, you don't feel well or something doesn't go right. So it matters to the head whether all the parts are doing their function. And that's why he checks up on us. That's why he watches over what we do. It's not like a schoolmaster that says, you were naughty today. You didn't complete your whole assignment, so come here. We're going to make you sit in the corner and wear a dunce hat. Or we're going to embarrass you. No, 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 no. He cares because there's something he wants to do and you're part of his accomplishing that. And what we're talking about here is the first thing he cares is to see his body grow up and mature. And you and I are part of that process taking place. So how could I be part of that? I've only been here a little while. You having sat in a blue chair here for six months know far more than 90% of the people that are out there. Amen. So you who have been here six months are still able to function and do a work to help do what God's called this body to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 5. So then who is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. In other words, that was my function. Paul, of course, was an apostle. Apollos was a teacher and also an apostle. I planted, verse 6. Apollos watered. 
I planted. I did something. The planting here is the word of God. I came. And, and the one that sows is the first one that come and put the seed in the ground. So Paul is saying, I came to you. I was the first one to come to you with the gospel. I came to you. I came to you. I didn't sit in Jerusalem and wait for you to come to me. I came to you and planted God's word in your heart. I did something. Then Apollos came along and he watered that seed or watered that word with his teaching, with, his, with, his, with whatever other ministry he performed. He took what I had planted in you and he watered it. But notice what Paul's perception is. So important. Verse 7. But then neither, but God gave the increase. So I did my part, I sowed the seed. Apollos did his part, he watered it. And when I did my part and Apollos did his part, God did his end of the partnership, he caused it to grow. Right now, in thousands of hardware stores across the country, in hundreds of hardware stores and other stores in this immediate area, there are shelves on which there are packets of seeds. Some of them are, are, are vegetable seeds. Some of them are flower seeds. And as long as those packets stay on the shelf of those stores, those seeds remain seeds. But until someone comes to that shelf and takes that packet of seeds off the shelf and gets in their car and drives home and goes in their backyard and digs up the ground a little bit and takes those seeds and put, puts those seeds in the ground and then comes along and waters them and then waters them and then later waters them. Although the full potential is in those packets for many tulips and many roses or many tomatoes and many cucumbers or many whatever it is. Brussels sprouts. <laughs> That's all in there. It will never happen until someone does the work of taking those seeds, planting them in the soil, and then watering them. But when we do that work, when we do that part of the process, then the life that God put in those seeds in the very beginning begins to germinate and grow, and God does His part because He causes it to grow and produce the fruit. So ministry is partnership with God. He brings his part, which only he can do. And we bring our part, which only we can do. And our attitude so often is if God wants it done, then he'll do it. And we'll pray, and that's part of the work. And we'll come to church, and we'll give, and that's part of it. But that's not a it. You can pray and believe for those seeds to grow cucumbers and tomatoes, but until someone takes that off that shelf and puts that seed in the ground and waters it, it's going to remain a seed. 
no matter how much God wanted that seed to turn into cucumbers or tomatoes. Until we do our part. And I believe God's waiting for us to wake up, to begin to accept the responsibility he's given to us to do our part. And you know what? There's no greater place of blessing. There's no greater place of peace. There's no greater place of safety. There's no greater place of prosperity than to being right in the middle of doing what God's called you to do. The safest I have ever felt in my life was on the mission field. It was one night, because of the situation, we were in a cab driven by somebody who spoke only Spanish and we speak only English. It was 11 o'clock at night. Somebody had told them where to take us. And I looked at her and Anita and realized, if this man doesn't take us where we're supposed to go, I have no idea. You know, we're in his hands. And I never felt more safe and more at peace in my life because I knew we were right in the middle of where God wanted us at that time. Psalm 91 says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. That place is in the middle of His will. In the middle of His will. So God caused the increase. Now let's talk for a second about this four-letter word, work. So I, I like the spiritual things, you know. Oh, God, we praise you and worship you. God. Oh, Lord, it's wonderful to come to church and praise you and worship you. I love being in... See, there's some people that don't want to work in the children's ministry because they don't want to miss God in the service. And yet, if God's assigned you to the children's ministry, he's waiting for you down in the toddler's room this morning. You know where Anita and I started in ministry? It was in the toddler room. <laughs> Spoken by a children's worker. Changing dirty diapers. Because that's serving. Work implies something mundane, ordinary, every day. You know, we, human nature is we like the exciting stuff. We like it when the, spirit, the, the presence of God falls and all kinds of exciting things take place. We like it when we see miracles and people's blind eyes open and the lame walk. We love seeing those things. And they're all part of ministry. They're all part of what God wants to do. But 90% of ministry is... W-O-R-K. It's doing the same thing today that we did yesterday. See, our flesh likes something new and exciting. That's why some people have trouble staying in the same church for a while. Because this church that was so exciting when they first came here is backslid while they were there. <laughs> and the pastor who was so anointed when they came has now lost the anointing. And so they're going to move on somewhere else where they'll find someone. And what happens is there's an initial joy because it's just new. People do that with churches. Some people do it with spouses. <laughs> Marriage is W-O-R. 
R K. And there's something about work that you have to do every day. There's some days, I, I, I don't hope you don't get up and leave. There's some days I'm not excited to come to church. I'll get tired like you get tired. But I come anyway. So, well, you come because you're the pastor. Yeah, but I did it before I was the pastor. We lived an hour away when we first started coming to this church, and I was practicing law. And sometimes on Wednesday nights, I would get out of, of court just in time to get in a car, drive, go home, pick my whole family up, all of us, shove a sandwich in my mouth in the car, and drive down here just as they were starting to do praise and worship. Many times, I got out of having a hard day, trying a case or whatever it was, and the last thing I felt like doing was getting in the car to come to church but I knew it's where we belonged. Amen. So I didn't come because I felt like it. I came because it's where we belonged, because we're part of this body. So although I come because I'm the pastor, whether I feel like it or not, I did it before I was anything in this church for over 10 years because it's being part of the body. So there's a part of work that's just ordinary and mundane and, 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 and every day, and it's just, you know, and that's the battle sometimes. You should get up and say, I've got to do the same thing today I did yesterday. But do you do that at your job? Why? Because they won't pay you if you don't. <laughs> so if you don't, you say, I don't feel like coming. You know, and I did it yesterday. It's like I was telling Pastor Joseph the other day, I said, when, when, our, when our youngest kids went to school, first year day of school, they, you know, it was an exciting day. I got him up the second day, and I said, boy, it's time to get up to go to school. He said, why? <laughs> I said, well, you've got to go to school. Well, we did that yesterday. <laughs> In other words, their understanding is going to school was they went to school. So it was a miscommunication there. And some people have that image of work. I did that. No, it's day in, day out. Some days I love doing it, some days, but I do it. Anyway, so work implies that mundane everydayness, but it's part of what's necessary to get the work done. I want to get into one other thing, and then we'll, we may not finish this part of it today. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Say, all right, you're talking about work, but I thought we're saved by grace. I thought we're not, you know, I, we're taught that we're not, to, we're not people of works, and we're not to emphasize works well, we just saw that Jesus evaluates our works. Let's see where this balance is. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. That says that our salvation is given to us as an act of grace by God. Grace means we did not deserve it. It means much more than that, but in essence it means we did not deserve it. And that gift is received by faith. But now look at the next verse. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're saved not by our works, 
Not by how much you kept the law. Not by how good you are. You can't be good enough. But once you've received that salvation, which is a free gift by faith and not by your works, and you don't keep that salvation by your works. Galatians chapter 3 says that. Paul says, having begun by faith, are you now going to continue by works of the flesh or are you going to continue by faith in the Spirit of God who regenerated you? So your standing before God, whether you're a child of God, is based on the grace of God that's been given to you. Just as your children's life was not something they earned, but it was given to them. But I hope your children discovered at some point in the process of growing up that although that gift of being your son and your daughter was a gift given to them by grace, there were still things they had to do. So there was work to be done. Like, make your bed. Yeah, but I'm saved by grace. <laughs> but you make your bed by work. <laughs> and you build into your family as you're training your children a system of rewards for doing what they're supposed to do. And perhaps, you know, not punishments, but perhaps, you know, consequences for not doing what they're supposed to do because you're training them, and we'll talk about this later on, you're training them how to be a productive member of your family so that they can learn to be a productive member of society and of the body of Christ. And the productiveness is based on what work they've learned how to do or the discipline of work. But it doesn't affect whether they're your child or not. So if they don't make your bed, you don't kick them out of the family. But there are consequences to not making their bed. Well, the same, not only that, but we won't have time to look at it today, but later on in 1 Corinthians 3 where we stop reading, Paul talks about because what's going to happen is we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That word's bima, which was where when they finished the, the race, the, 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 um, the Olympic races at a, at a track, when the, the winner would come up and receive a, 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 a laurel wreath that they put on their head and sometimes a, a scepter that they put in their hand. And, and, and there would be the, 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 the mayor of the town or whatever the, the, the governing ruler that happened to be in the area at the time would sit on this seat. It was called the Bema, B-E-M-A. And it was not, it was, it was called, it's called the judgment seat. But the purpose of it was for handing out the rewards for how they finished their race. There are rewards for your faithfulness to do what you're called to do. Jesus told a parable of the talents and the words at the end, which is, which is what, I, what I strive for, what I live for, is to hear those words from my Lord, well done. But he doesn't just say well done. He says well done, good, and faithful servant. Faithful is measured by whether you did what he called you to do, not measured by whether you did good things. It, you have to be faithful to something. Faithfulness is not something that just exists on its own. It's measured by whether you did by what you, what you were told to do. And every one of us has an assignment, at least one assignment, a work to do in the body. Now, it may not be performed in here, but that work we're going to see is the, the work of service. And as we learn to do the work 
of service to the body we've been called to do, it causes the entire body to mature and to be built up. The building up of your physical body doesn't come from some outside source. You don't hook every, like, these, these, like your car or these new electric cars, you've got to plug them in. Your body's ability to grow and mature comes from your body itself performing its functions. Never thought of that before. You've got to feed it, and you've got to exercise and do the things you're supposed to do, but as long as you do those things, your body working with itself will cause your body to grow and mature. Not from some outside source you plug into. In the same way, his body only grows and matures to the extent that each part does its work in the body. So this is not about where we go to church. It's about what part of the body we are and whether we're performing the function that we were designed to perform. And I'll talk to you later on about how do you find out what parts you are. It's no great secret. It's very obvious. You don't have to, you know, fast for six weeks and, you know, it's, it's not hard to figure out. God knows what we're like. He's made it easy for us. But it's the work. These gifts are given so that we might do the work of the ministry so that the body might grow and mature 